Section 33 of Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1, The Journals of Robert Falcon Scott, Arranged by Leonard Huxley. Chapter 16, Southern Journey, The Barrier Stage. November 1. Last night we heard that Jehu had reached Hut Point in about five and a half hours. This morning we got away in detachments. Michael, Nobby, Chinaman were first to get away at about 11 a.m. The little devil Christopher was harnessed with the usual difficulty and started in kicking mood, Oates holding on for all he was worth. Bones ambled off gently with Creon, and I led snippets in his wake. Ten minutes after, Evans and Snatcher passed at the usual full speed. The wind blew very strong at the Razorback, and the sky was threatening. The ponies hate the wind. A mile south of this island, Bowers and Victor passed me, leaving me where I best wished to be, at the tail of the line. About this place I saw that one of the animals ahead had stopped, and was obstinately refusing to go forward again. I had a great fear it was Chinaman, the unknown quantity, but to my relief found it was my old friend Nobby in obstinate mood. As he is very strong and fit, the matter was soon adjusted with a little persuasion from Anton behind. Poor little Anton found it difficult to keep the pace with short legs. Snatcher soon led the party and covered the distance in four hours. Evans said he could see no difference at the end from the start. The little animal simply romped in. Bones and Christopher arrived almost equally fresh. In fact, the latter had been bucking and kicking the whole way. For the present, there is no end to his devilment, and the great consideration is how to safeguard Oates. Some quiet ponies should always be near him, a difficult matter to arrange with such varying rates of walking. A little later I came up to a batch, Bowers, Wilson, Cherry, and Wright, and was happy to see Chinaman going very strong. He is not fast, but very steady, and I think should go a long way. Victor and Michael forged ahead again, and the remaining three of us came in after taking a little under five hours to cover the distance. We were none too soon, as the weather had been steadily getting worse, and soon after our arrival it was blowing a gale. Thursday, November 2. Hut Point. The march teaches a good deal as to the paces of the ponies. It reminded me of a regatta, or a somewhat disorganized fleet with ships of very unequal speed. The plan of further advance has now been evolved. We shall start with three parties, the very slow ponies, the medium-paced, and the flyers. Snatchers starting last will probably overtake the leading unit. All this requires a good deal of arranging. We have decided to begin night-marching, and shall get away after supper, I hope. The weather is hourly improving, but at this season that does not count for much. At present our ponies are very comfortably stabled. Michael, Chinaman, and James Pig are actually in the hut. Chinaman kept us alive last night by stamping on the floor. Mears and Dimitri are here with the dog team, and Ponting with a great photographic outfit. I fear he won't get much chance to get results. Friday, November 3, Camp 1. A keen wind with some drift at Hut Point, but we sailed away in detachments. Atkinson's party, 
Jehu, Chinaman, and Jimmy Pig led off at eight. Just before ten, Wilson, Cherry Garrard, and I left. Our ponies marched steadily and well together over the sea ice. The wind dropped a good deal, but the temperature with it, so that the little remaining was very cutting. We found Atkinson at safety camp. He had lunged and was just ready to march out again. He reports Chinaman and Jehu tired. Ponting arrived soon after we had camped with Dimitri and a small dog team. The cinematograph was set up in time to catch the flying rear guard, which came along in fine form, Snatcher leading and being stopped every now and again. A wonderful little beast. Christopher had given the usual trouble when harnessed, but was evidently subdued by the barrier surface. However, it was not thought advisable to halt him, and so the party fled through in the wake of the advance guard. After lunch we packed up and marched on steadily as before. I don't like these midnight lunches, but for man the march that follows is pleasant when, as today, the wind falls and the sun steadily increases its heat. The two parties in front of us camped five miles beyond safety camp, and we reached their camp some half or three-quarters of an hour later. All the ponies were tethered in good order, but most of them were tired. Chinaman and Jehu very tired. Nearly all are inclined to be off feed, but this is very temporary, I think. We have built walls, but there is no wind, and the sun gets warmer every minute. Mirage! Very marked waving effect to east. Small objects greatly exaggerated and showing as dark vertical lines. 1 p.m. Feeding time. Woke the party, and oats served out the rations. All ponies feeding well. It is a sweltering day, the air breathless, the glare intense. One loses sight of the fact that the temperature is low, minus 22 degrees. One's mind seeks comparison in hot sunlit streets and scorching pavements, yet six hours ago my thumb was frostbitten. All the inconveniences of frozen footwear and damp clothes and sleeping bags have vanished entirely. A petrol tin is near the camp, and a note stating that the motor passed at 9 p.m. 28th, going strong. They have four to five days' lead, and should surely keep it. Bones has eaten Christopher's goggles. This announcement by Creon, meaning that Bones had demolished the protecting fringe on Christopher's bridle. These fringes promise very well. Christopher without his is blinking in the hot sun. Saturday, November 4, Camp 2. Lead March, started in what I think will now become the settled order. Atkinson went at 8, hours at 10, Bowers, Oates and Company at 11.15. Just after starting, picked up cheerful note and saw cheerful notices, saying all well with motors, both going excellently. Day wrote, hope to meet in 80 degrees 30 minutes latitude. Poor chap, within two miles he must have had to sing a different tale. It appears they had a bad ground on the morning of the 29th. I suppose the surface was bad and everything seemed to be going wrong. They dumped a good deal of petrol and lubricant. Worse was to follow. Some four miles out we met a tin pathetically inscribed, Big End Day's Motor Number 2 Cylinder Broken. Half a mile beyond, as I expected, we found the motor, its tracking sledges and all. Notes from Evans and Day told the tale. The only spare had been used for Lashley's machine, and it would have taken a long time to strip Day's machine so that it could run on three cylinders. They had decided to abandon it, 
and push on with the other alone. They had taken the six bags of forage and some odds and ends, besides their petrol and lubricant. So the dream of great help from the machines is at an end. The track of the remaining motor goes steadily forward, but now, of course, I shall expect to see it every hour of the march. The ponies did pretty well, a cruel soft surface most of the time, but light loads, of course. Jehu is better than I expected to find him, Chinaman not so well. They are bad crocs, both of them. It was pretty cold during the night, minus seven degrees when we camped, with a crisp breeze blowing. The ponies didn't like it, but now as I write, the sun is shining through a white haze, the wind has dropped, and the picketing line is comfortable for the poor beasts. This, 1 p.m., is the feeding hour. The animals are not yet on feed, but they are coming on. The wind vane left here in the spring shows a predominance of wind from the southwest quarter, maximum scratching about southwest by west. Sunday, November 5, Camp 3, Corner Camp. We came over the last lap of the first journey in good order, ponies doing well in soft surface, but, of course, lightly loaded. Tonight we'll show what we can do with the heavier weights. A very troubled note from Evans with motor, written on morning of second, saying maximum speed was about seven miles per day. They have taken on nine bags of forage, but there are three black dots to the south, which we can only imagine are the deserted motor with its loaded sledges. The men have gone on as a supporting party, as directed. It is a disappointment. I had hoped better of the machines once they got away on the barrier surface. The appetites of the ponies are very fanciful. They do not like the oil cake, but for the moment seem to take to some fodder left here. However, they are off that again today. It is a sad pity they won't eat well now, because later on one can imagine how ravenous they will become. Chinaman and Jehu will not go far, I fear. Monday, November 6, Camp 4 we started in the usual order, arranging so that full loads should be carried if the black dots to the south proved to be the motor. On arrival at these, we found our fears confirmed. A note from Evans stated a recurrence of the old trouble. The big end of number one cylinder had cracked. The machine otherwise in good order. Evidently the engines are not fitted for working in this climate, a fact that should be certainly capable of correction. One thing is proved. The system of propulsion is altogether satisfactory. The motor party has proceeded as a man-hauling party as arranged. With their full loads the ponies did splendidly. Even Jehu and Chinaman with loads over 450 pounds stepped out well and have finished as fit as when they started. Atkinson and Wright both think that these animals are improving. The better ponies made nothing of their loads, and my own snippets had over 700 pounds, sledge included. Of course, the surface is greatly improved. It is that over which we came well last year. We are all much cheered by this performance. It shows a hardening up of ponies, which have been well trained. Even Oates is pleased. As we came to camp, a blizzard threatened, and we built snow walls. One hour after our arrival, the wind was pretty strong, but there was not much snow. This state of affairs has continued, but the ponies seem very comfortable. Their new rugs cover them well, and the sheltering walls are as high as the animals, so that the wind is practically unfelt behind them. 
The protection is a direct result of our experience of last year, and it is good to feel that we reaped some reward for that disastrous journey. I am writing late in the day, and the wind is still strong. I fear we shall not be able to go on tonight. Christopher gave great trouble again last night. The four men had great difficulty in getting him into his sledge. It is a nuisance which I fear must be endured for some time to come. The temperature, minus five degrees, is lower than I like in a blizzard. It feels chilly in the tent, but the ponies don't seem to mind the wind much. The incidents of this blizzard had certain characters worthy of note. Before we started from corner camp, there was a heavy collection of cloud about Cape Crozier and Mount Terror, and a black line of stratus low on the western slopes of Erebus. With us the sun was shining, and it was particularly warm and pleasant. Shortly after we started, mist formed about us, waxing and waning in density. A slight southerly breeze sprang up, cumulostratus cloud formed overhead with a rather windy appearance, radial east and west. At the first halt, five miles south, Atkinson called my attention to a curious phenomenon. Across the face of the low sun, the strata of mist could be seen rising rapidly, lines of shadow appearing to be traveling upwards against the light. Presumably this was sun-warmed air. The accumulation of this gradually overspread the sky with a layer of stratus, which, however, never seemed to be very dense. The position of the sun could always be seen. Two or three hours later, the wind steadily increased in force, with the usual gusty characteristic. A noticeable fact was that the sky was clear and blue above the southern horizon, and the clouds seemed to be closing down on this from time to time. At intervals since, it has lifted, showing quite an expanse of clear sky. The general appearance is that the disturbance is created by conditions about us, and is rather spreading from north to south, than coming up with the wind, and this seems rather typical. On the other hand, it is not a bad snow blizzard. Though the wind holds, the land, obscured last night, is now quite clear, and the bluff has no mantle. Added in another hand, probably dictated. Before we felt any air moving, during our A.M. march, and the greater part of the previous march, there was a dark cloud over Ross Sea off the barrier, which continued over the eastern barrier to the southeast as a heavy stratus, with here and there an appearance of wind. At the same time, due south of us, dark lines of stratus were appearing, miraged on the horizon, and while we were camping after our A.M. march, these were obscured by banks of white fog, or drift, and the wind increasing the whole time. My general impression was that the storm came up from the south, but swept round over the eastern part of the barrier, before it became general and included the western part where we were. Tuesday, November 7, Camp 4. The blizzard has continued throughout last night and up to this time of writing, late in the afternoon. Starting mildly, with broken clouds, little snow, and gleams of sunshine, it grew in intensity until this forenoon, when there was heavy snowfall and the sky overspread with low nimbus cloud. In the early afternoon the snow and wind took off, and the wind is dropping now, but the sky looks very lowering and unsettled. Last night the sky was so broken that I made certain the end of the blow had come. Towards morning the sky overhead and far to the north was quite clear. More cloud obscured the sun to the south, and low heavy banks hung over Ross Island. All seemed hopeful, 
except that I noted with misgiving that the mantle on the bluff was beginning to form. Two hours later, the whole sky was overcast, and the blizzard had fully developed. This Tuesday evening it remains overcast, but one cannot see that the clouds are traveling fast. The bluff mantle is a wide low bank of stratus not particularly windy in appearance. The wind is falling, but the sky still looks lowering to the south, and there is a general appearance of unrest. The temperature has been minus ten degrees all day. The ponies, which had been so comparatively comfortable in the earlier stages, were hit as usual when the snow began to fall. We have done everything possible to shelter and protect them, but there seems no way of keeping them comfortable when the snow is thick and driving fast. We men are snug and comfortable enough, but it is very evil to lie here and know that the weather is steadily sapping the strength of the beasts on which so much depends. It requires much philosophy to be cheerful on such occasions. In the midst of the drift this forenoon, the dog party came up and camped about a quarter of a mile to leeward. Mears has played too much for safety in catching us so soon, but it is satisfactory to find the dogs will pull the loads and can be driven to face such a wind as we have had. It shows that they ought to be able to help us a good deal. The tents and sledges are badly drifted up, and the drifts behind the pony walls have been dug out several times. I shall be glad indeed to be on the march again, and oh, for a little sun. The ponies are all quite warm when covered by their rugs. Some of the fine drift snow finds its way under the rugs, and especially under the broad belly straps. This melts and makes the coat wet if allowed to remain. It is not easy to understand at first why the blizzard should have such a withering effect on the poor beasts. I think it is mainly due to the exceeding fineness of the snow particles, which, like finely divided powder, penetrate the hair of the coat and lodge in the inner warmth. Here it melts, and as water carries off the animal heat. Also, no doubt, it harasses the animals by the bombardment of the fine flying particles on tender places, such as nostrils, eyes, and to lesser extent ears. In this way it continually bothers them, preventing rest. Of all things the most important for horses is that conditions should be placid whilst they stand tethered. Wednesday, November 8. Camp 5. Wind with overcast threatening sky continued to a late hour last night. The question of starting was open for a long time, and many were unfavorable. I decided we must go, and soon after midnight the advance guard got away. To my surprise, when the rugs were stripped from the crocks, they appeared quite fresh and fit. Both Jehu and Chinaman had a skittish little run. When their heads were loose, Chinaman indulged in a playful buck. All three started with their loads at a brisk pace. It is a great relief to find that they had not suffered at all from the blizzard. They went out six geographical miles, and our section going at a good round pace found them encamped as usual. After they had gone, we waited for the rear guard to come up and joined with them. For the next five miles the bunch of seven kept together in fine style, and with wind dropping, sun gaining in power, and ponies going well, the march was a real pleasure. One gained confidence every moment in the animals. They brought along their heavy loads without a hint of tiredness. All take the patches of soft snow with an easy stride, not bothering themselves at all. The majority halt now and again to get a mouthful of snow, but little Christopher goes through with a non-stop run. 
he gives us as much trouble as ever at the start, showing all sorts of ingenious tricks to escape his harness. Yesterday, when brought to his knees and held, he lay down, but this served no end, for before he jumped to his feet and dashed off, the traces had been fixed, and he was in for the thirteen miles of steady work. Oates holds like grim death to his bridle until the first freshness is worn off, and this is no little time, for even after ten miles he seized a slight opportunity to kick up. Some four miles from this camp, Evans loosed Snatcher momentarily. The little beast was off at a canter at once, and on slippery snow. It was all Evans could do to hold to the bridle. As it was, he dashed across the line, somewhat to its danger. Six hundred yards from this camp, there was a bale of forage. Bowers stopped and loaded it on his sledge, bringing his weights to nearly eight hundred pounds. His pony Victor stepped out again as though nothing had been added. Such incidents are very inspiriting. Of course, the surface is very good. The animals rarely sink to the fetlock joint, and for a good part of the time are borne up on hard snow patches without sinking at all. In passing, I mention that there are practically no places where ponies sink to their hocks, as described by Shackleton. On the only occasion last year when our ponies sank to their hocks in one soft patch, they were unable to get their loads on at all. The feathering of the fetlock joint is borne up on the snow crust, and its upward bend is indicative of the depth of the hole made by the hoof. One sees that an extra inch makes a tremendous difference. We are picking up last year's cairns with great ease, and all show up very distinctly. This is extremely satisfactory for the homeward march. What with pony walls, campsites, and cairns, our track should be easily followed the whole way. Everyone is as fit as can be. It is wonderfully warm as we camped this morning at eleven o'clock. The wind has dropped completely, and the sun shines gloriously. Men and ponies revel in such weather. One devoutly hopes for a good spell of it as we recede from the windy northern region. The dogs came up soon after we had camped, traveling easily. Thursday, November 9. Camp 6. Sticking to program, we are going a little over the ten miles, geographical, nightly. Atkinson started his party at eleven and went on for seven miles to escape a cold little night breeze which quickly dropped. He was some time at his lunch camp, so that starting to join the rear guard, we came in together the last two miles. The experience showed that the slow advance guard ponies are forced out of their place by joining with the others, whilst the fast rear guard is reduced in speed. Obviously it is not an advantage to be together, yet all the ponies are doing well. An amusing incident happened when Wright left his pony to examine his sledge meter. Chinaman evidently didn't like being left behind, and set off at a canter to rejoin the main body. Wright's long legs barely carried him fast enough to stop this fatal stampede, but the ridiculous sight was due to the fact that old Jehu caught the infection and set off at a sprawling canter in Chinaman's wake. As this is the pony we thought scarcely capable of a single march at start, one is agreeably surprised to find him still displaying such commendable spirit. Christopher is troublesome as ever at the start. I fear that signs of tameness will only indicate absence of strength. The dogs followed us so easily over the ten miles that Mears thought of going on again, but finally decided that the present easy work is best. 
Things look hopeful. The weather is beautiful, temperature minus 12 degrees, with a bright sun. Some stratus cloud about discovery and over White Island. The sastrugi about here are very various in direction, and the surface a good deal plowed up, showing that the bluff influences the wind direction, even out as far as this camp. The surface is hard. I take it about as good as we shall get. There is an annoying little southerly wind blowing now, and this serves to show the beauty of our snow walls. The ponies are standing under their lee in the bright sun, as comfortable as can possibly be. Friday, November 10, Camp 7. A very horrid march. A strong headwind during the first part, five miles geographical, then a snowstorm. Right leading found steering so difficult after three miles geographical, that the party decided to camp. Luckily, just before camping, he rediscovered Evans's track, motor party, so that, given decent weather, we shall be able to follow this. The ponies did excellently as usual, but the surface is good distinctly. The wind has dropped, and the weather is clearing now that we have camped. It is disappointing to miss even one and a half miles. Christopher was started today by a ruse. He was harnessed behind his wall, and was in the sledge before he realized. Then he tried to bolt, but Titus hung on. Saturday, November 11, Camp 8. It cleared somewhat just before the start of our march, but the snow which had fallen in the day remained soft and flocculent on the surface. Added to this, we entered on an area of soft crust between a few scattered hard sastrugi. In pits between these, in places, the snow lay in sandy heaps. A worse set of conditions for the ponies could scarcely be imagined. Nevertheless, they came through pretty well, the strong ones excellently, but the crocs had had enough at nine and a half miles. Such a surface makes one anxious, in spite of the rapidity with which changes take place. I expected these marches to be a little difficult, but not near so bad as today. It is snowing again as we camp, with a slight northeasterly breeze. It is difficult to make out what is happening to the weather. It is all part of the general warming up, but I wish the sky would clear. In spite of the surface, the dogs ran up from the camp before last over twenty miles in the night. They are working splendidly so far. Sunday, November 12, Camp 9. Our marches are uniformly horrid just at present. The surface remains wretched, not quite so heavy as yesterday perhaps, but very near it at times. Five miles out, the advance party came straight and true on our last year's bluff depot, marked with a flagstaff. Here following, I found a note from Evans, cheerful in tone, dated 7 a.m. 7th. He is, therefore, the best part of five days ahead of us, which is good. Atkinson camped a mile beyond this cairn, and had a very gloomy account of Chinaman, said he couldn't last more than a mile or two. The weather was horrid, overcast, gloomy, snowy. One's spirits became very low. However, the crocs set off again, the rear guard came up, passed us in camp, and then on the march about three miles on, so that they camped about the same time. The soldier thinks Chinaman will last for a good many days yet, an extraordinary confession of hope for him. The rest of the animals are as well as can be expected, Jehu rather better. These weather appearances change every minute. When we camped, there was a chill northerly breeze, a black sky, and light falling snow. Now the sky is clearing, and the sun shining an hour later. 
The temperature remains about minus 10 degrees in the daytime. End of first part of chapter 12